Hello, and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End. I'm so glad you're here as we are reading through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Last week, we were walking through some of the plans God had for the tabernacle and God's design for the priests in the community of Israel. We're going to keep going through Exodus as God continues outlining his expectations and his design for Israel. Again, all these rules and regulations can be a little exhausting to read through, but they have a place in our history, and there is meaning in these scriptures. So as we're reading through these scriptures, we're going to be reading through Exodus 30 to 35, be asking yourself why it's important for us to read through the Old Testament. Why do you think God put these regulations and these commandments into place? And how is the New Testament, Jesus' sacrifice, a much better replacement for the Old Covenant? So Exodus 30, plans for the incense altar. Then make another altar of acacia wood for burning incense. Make it 18 inches square and 36 inches high with horns at the corners carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. Overlay the top sides and horns of the altar with pure gold and run a gold molding around the entire altar. Make two gold rings and attach them on opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Place the incense altar just outside the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant in front of the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, that covers the tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. I will meet with you there. Every morning when Aaron maintains the lamps, he must burn fragrant incense on the altar. And each evening when he lights the lamps, he must again burn incense in the Lord's presence. This must be done from generation to generation. Do not offer any unholy incense on this altar, or any burnt offerings, grain offerings, or liquid offerings. Once a year, Aaron must purify the altar by smearing its horns with blood from the offering made to purify the people from their sin. This will be a regular annual event from generation to generation, for this is the Lord's most holy altar. The next section is money for the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. Each person who is counted must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. This payment is a half shekel, based on the sanctuary shekel, which equals twenty jerahs. All who have reached their twentieth birthday must give this sacred offering to the Lord. When this offering is given to the Lord to purify your lives, making you right with them, the rich must not give more than the specified amount, and the poor must not give less. Pause right there and ask yourself, why do you think God is commanding everyone to give the same offering, no matter whether they're rich or poor? Verse 16, receive this ransom money from the Israelites and use it to care for the tabernacle. It will bring the Israelites to the Lord's attention and it will purify your lives. 
So pause there, and now that we know kind of what this sacrifice is for, this offering is for, does that change your answer as to why you think God is having everyone pay the same offering? The next section is plans for the wash basin. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord, or they will die. They must always wash their hands and feet or they will die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. So pause there. Why is it important for Aaron and his sons to cleanse their bodies before they go into the tabernacle and appear before the Lord? What does washing our physical bodies symbolize? And why is it important to be cleansed before entering God's presence? The next section is the anointing oil. Then the Lord said to Moses, collect choice spices, twelve and a half pounds of pure myrrh, six and a fourth pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a fourth pounds of fragrant calamus, and twelve and a half pounds of cassia, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. Also, get one gallon of olive oil. Like a skilled incense maker, blend these ingredients to make a holy anointing oil. Use this sacred oil to anoint the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the wash basin with its stand. Consecrate them to make them absolutely holy. After this, whatever touches them will also become holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons also, consecrating them to serve me as priests. And say to the people of Israel, This holy anointing oil is reserved for me from generation to generation. It must never be used to anoint anyone else, and you must never make any blend like it for yourselves. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes a blend like it or anoint someone other than a priest, will be cut off from the community. Pause there and ask yourself, why is God taking this anointing oil so seriously? Why can't you use this anointing oil for any other purpose than to anoint the temple and anoint the priests? How seriously does God take holiness? Does he give that title to just anyone or anything? The next section is the incense. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanum, and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together and sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture into a very fine powder, and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where I will meet you in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. 
Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. So again, pause right there and ask yourself the same questions. Why is God treating this incense as something so special and sacred? What are they using it for? What does it mean to be holy and set apart? Chapter 31 Craftsman Bezalel and Aholiab Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the Place of Atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsman must make everything as I have commanded you. The next section is instructions for the Sabbath. And as we read this section, I want you to think about rest. Think about why God calls us to take a Sabbath and a day of rest throughout the week. Verse 12. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. So pause there and reflect on the Sabbath. Reflect on how you take time out of your week to rest. 
God said that the Sabbath is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. How does the Sabbath remind us that God is with us and makes us holy? The next chapter is the gold calf. Remember I said that we've seen the Israelites turn on Moses and Aaron and really turn against God. We'll see them fluctuate. We'll see them say, God, we commit ourselves to you wholeheartedly. And then the next chapter, they're already doing something completely opposite of what God wants for them. So remember that as we go into this chapter and ask yourself, what kind of scene this is? Is this a time when they're committed to God or a time when they're going against God? And then ask yourself, why? Exodus 32, the gold calf. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So, pause there. What is wrong with this picture? Why did the Israelites create this idol? How do you think God is going to react to this idolatry? What can we learn about patience from this chapter? Verse 7. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way. I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation." But Moses tried to pacify the Lord, his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? So pause right there. The Israelites are worshiping this calf and saying that that is the God that brought them out of Egypt. How is Moses making sure that he clings to truth? To whom is he attributing their exodus? Verse 12. Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountain and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? 
you bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So pause there and reflect on that encounter. Do you think that God was testing Moses? Testing his commitment, testing his understanding of their covenant, giving him the chance to intercede for the Israelites? Or was it something else? Because it can be difficult to think that God would turn away from his people. But what do we know about God's power and his perfect understanding of the world? Verse 15, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? So pause there. Do you think that Moses' reaction is justified? Do you think he's adequately angry with his people? How do you think Aaron is going to respond? Verse 22. Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Pause there. Is Aaron taking responsibility or is he pushing the responsibility onto someone else? Verse 25. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, All of you! who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. The next section is Moses intercedes for Israel. 
The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. But the Lord replied to Moses, No, I will erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshipped the calf Aaron had made. Pause right there. That's the end of chapter 32. And it's interesting. We saw Aaron deny his responsibility in creating the calf. But then right there at the end of the chapter, it says that the Lord sent a plague upon the people because they had worshipped. And it makes a point to say the calf Aaron had made. So what does that show us about God? Even when we don't admit it, does he see our sin? Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, Get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. So pause there and ask yourself, why is God not able to be in the presence of the Israelites? Think about the characteristics of God, who he is. What is it about God that makes him unable to be in the presence of the Israelites? And then think about Jesus, who's coming in the New Testament. Why was it necessary for Jesus to be among the people? What did God have to do to be able to be with the people? Verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out of the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So pause there and compare this image of the Israelites worshiping God's presence to the previous chapter where they were worshiping a calf, a gold calf. The next section is Moses sees the Lord's glory. This is a very famous passage of scripture, and it will give us a little insight into God's power and who God is. Verse 12. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Then the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose." But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So pause there at the end of chapter 33. We hear about God's presence. God is so powerful that anyone who looks upon him will die. So does that give us some insight into why he cannot dwell among the Israelites? Exodus 34, a new copy of the covenant. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come up with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. 
I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped, and he said, O Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. Then the Lord replied, Listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. So pause there and reflect. We're already hearing some characteristics of God. Keep track of who God says he is. And as we keep reading, we've heard him say, I am jealous. I am Yahweh. I am unfailing love and faithfulness. What else will we learn about God as we continue? Verse 15 You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters, who sacrifice to other gods, as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshipping other gods. You must not make any gods of molten metal for yourselves. You must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. The bread you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring, in the month of Abib, for that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. The firstborn of every animal belongs to me, including the firstborn males from your herds of cattle and your flocks of sheep and goats. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. No one may appear before me without an offering. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. You must celebrate the festival of harvest with the first crop of the wheat harvest and celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season. Three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign, the Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out the other nations ahead of you and expand your territory so no one will covet and conquer your land while you appear before the Lord, your God, three times each year. You must not offer the blood of my sacrificial offerings together with any baked goods containing yeast. 
and none of the meat of the Passover sacrifice may be kept over until the next morning. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down all these instructions, for they represent the terms of the covenant I am making with you and with Israel. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord for forty days and forty nights. In all that time he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. So pause there. What a beautiful image that is. Moses was merely in the presence, speaking to the Lord. And just because of that encounter, he reflected God to his people. I just want you to think about that. Think about how spending time with the Lord, even now in prayer, in study, in worship, in living our lives, how we reflect God. Verse 31, but Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. The final chapter we're reading today is Exodus 35. Instructions for the Sabbath. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, These are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. The next section is offerings for the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle and its sacred tent, its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark and its carrying poles, the ark's cover, the place of atonement, the inner curtain to shield the ark, the table, its carrying poles, and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, for light the lampstand, its accessories, the lamp cups, and the olive oil for lighting, the incense altar and its carrying poles, the anointing oil and fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering, the bronze grating of the altar and its carrying poles and utensils, 
the wash basin with its stand, the curtains for the walls of the courtyard, the posts and their bases, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs of the tabernacle and courtyard and their ropes, the beautifully stitched garments for the priests to wear while ministering in the holy place, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, and tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather. And all who had silver and bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering to the Lord. And those who had acacia wood brought it for use in the project. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing used their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. The leaders brought onyx stones and special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. Then Moses told the people of Israel, The Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And the Lord has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and designers. So that's where we're going to stop today. And next time we're going to pick up right where we left off as they begin building the tabernacle, and we will complete Exodus next time. But I really think that this last chapter is such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, the Christian body, the Christian family. Really reflect on how God brought together all his people, each their own unique strengths, gifts, resources to fulfill this covenant and fulfill God's commands. And it says that their hearts were stirred and their spirits moved. Those are the ones who came forward. And it just shows how God really does gift each of us in unique ways. And that when we work together and when we pull our resources and really come together as a community of believers across the world, across your city, across your country, that we can do great things. And we will see them do great things next week as we finish up Exodus. So I really hope you enjoyed today's scriptures and readings. And I hope that the Spirit spoke to you in some way through this. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can always reach out to the show at BibleBeginningToEnd at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter now. That link will be in the description. But as always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you in the next one. Hello, and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End. Thank you for joining us today. And I want to just say up top real quick that if you've been listening for a little while and you want to reach out or have any comments about the show or any suggestions, feel free to do so. We have a Twitter and an email address. Our email address is BibleBeginningToEnd at gmail.com. And all of our other contact information can be found in the description. And I'd love to hear from you and just connect with some of the people who have been listening and see where you're from or anything like that. So feel free to reach out. Okay, let's dive in with today's scripture. We're hitting a milestone. We are going to be finishing Exodus today. So before we jump in, let's reflect on where we've been. We've been through Genesis. We've seen creation sin into the world. We've seen destruction and creation again. And we are walking this line of descendants that God has specifically placed in the world to fulfill his will. And then we jumped into Exodus and we saw God's people in slavery from the Egyptians. And we saw God raise up Moses. Do you remember what Moses said when God called him? He said, not me. But look back at all the things that Moses has done. He raised up Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, and they began this journey to the promised land. And over the past few chapters, we have read a lot and a lot of rules, regulations, and a lot and a lot of plans for the tabernacle, for the priests, for the clothes the priests are to wear, how they're to go about building this tabernacle. But don't think it's just a bunch of boring lists of designs. It's the beginning of our faith. It's the beginning taste of the church, of the body of Christ. Especially what we read last week where we saw God telling the Israelites, use your unique skills to join together as one unit and build my dwelling place. So finally, here we are at the end of Exodus. How is it going to end? Are we actually going to see these structures built? Are the Israelites going to stay faithful to God or are they going to call out again to idols and complain against God and Moses? Well, let's see. Let's pick it up right where we left off with Exodus 36. The Lord has gifted Bezalel, Aholiab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent through the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. 
so the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. So pause right there. Why do you think the Israelites were so empowered to bring in abundance materials for the tabernacle? And imagine what our church families, and I don't even mean specifically the church you may go to, I mean our church family across the world, what kind of unity and flourishing we would have if every time our brothers and sisters were in need, we brought in such abundance that they had to say, stop, we can't even accept anymore because we have everything we need. Is that what true community in Christ is supposed to be? Is this a picture right here, this little section? Is that a picture of what God is calling us to do in Christian community? Think on that. The next section is building the tabernacle. Verse 8, The skilled craftsmen made ten curtains of finely woven linen for the tabernacle. Then Bezalel decorated the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and was skillfully embroidered cherubim. All ten curtains were exactly the same size, 42 feet long and 6 feet wide. Five of these curtains were joined together to make one long curtain, and the other five were joined to make a second long curtain. He made 50 loops of blue yarn and put them along the edge of the last curtain in each set. The 50 loops along the edge of one curtain matched the 50 loops along the edge of the other curtain. Then he made 50 gold clasps and fastened the long curtains together with clasps. In this way, the tabernacle was made of one continuous piece. He made 11 curtains of goat hair cloth to serve as a tent covering for the tabernacle. These 11 curtains were all exactly the same size, 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. Bezalel joined five of these curtains together to make one long curtain, and the other six were joined to make a second long curtain. He made 50 loops for the edge of each large curtain. He also made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the long curtains together. In this way, the tent covering was made of one continuous piece. He completed the tent covering with a layer of tanned ram skins and a layer of fine goat skin leather. For the framework of the tabernacle, Bezalel constructed frames of acacia wood. Each frame was 15 feet high and 27 inches wide, with two pegs under each frame. All the frames were identical. He made 20 of these frames to support the curtains on the south side of the tabernacle. He also made 40 silver bases, two bases under each frame, with the pegs fitting securely into the bases. For the north side of the tabernacle, he made another 20 frames, with their 40 silver bases, two bases under each frame. He made six frames for the rear, the west side of the tabernacle, along with two additional frames to reinforce the rear corners of the tabernacle. These corner frames were matched at the bottom and firmly attached at the top with a single ring, forming a single corner unit. Both of these corner units were made the same way. So there were eight frames at the rear of the tabernacle, set in 16 silver bases, two bases under each frame. Then he made crossbars of acacia wood to link the frames, five crossbars for the north side of the tabernacle and five for the south side. He also made five crossbars for the rear of the tabernacle, which faced west. 
he made the middle crossbar to attach halfway up the frames, and it ran all the way from one end of the tabernacle to the other. He overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars. Then he overlaid the crossbars with gold as well. For the inside of the tabernacle, Bezalel made a special curtain of finely woven linen. He decorated it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. For the curtain, he made four posts of acacia wood and four gold hooks. He overlaid the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Then he made another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. He made it of finely woven linen and embroidered it with exquisite designs using blue, purple, and scarlet thread. This curtain was hung on gold hooks attached to five posts. The posts, with their decorated tops and hooks, were overlaid with gold, and the five bases were cast from bronze. So there we are at the end of Exodus 36, and before we hop into Exodus 37, just reflect on the building of the tabernacle. Remind yourself, what exactly is the tabernacle? Why were they putting so much effort and attention to detail into the building of the tabernacle? And who is dwelling in the tabernacle? Exodus 37 starts off with building the Ark of the Covenant. Next, Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia Wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold, and he ran a molding of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings at the side of the ark to carry it. Then he made the ark's cover, the place of atonement, from pure gold. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim from hammered gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. He molded the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they protected it, building the table. Then Bezalel made the table of acacia wood 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold and ran a gold molding around the edge. He decorated it with a three-inch border all around, and he ran a gold molding along the border. Then he cast four gold rings for the table and attached them at the four corners next to the four legs. The rings were attached near the border to hold the poles that were used to carry the table. He made these poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made special containers of pure gold for the table, bowls, ladles, jars, and pitchers, to be used in pouring out liquid offerings. So pause and remember that all these pieces were specified by God these are the things that have to be in the tabernacle. So they have to be taken and made with just as much care as the tabernacle itself. The next section is building the lampstand. Then Bezalel made the lampstand of pure hammered gold. He made the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. The lampstand had six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. 
Each of the six branches had three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, completed with buds and petals. The center stem of the lampstand was crafted with four lamp cups, shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There was an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extended from the center stem, all made of one piece. The almond buds and branches were all of one piece with the center stem, and they were hammered from pure gold. He also made seven lamps for the lampstand, lamp snuffers, and trays all of pure gold. The entire lampstand, along with its accessories, was made from 75 pounds of pure gold. The next section is building the incense altar. Then Bezalel made the incense altar of acacia wood. It was 18 inches square and 36 inches high, with horns at the corners carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. He overlaid the top, sides, and horns of the altar with pure gold, and he ran a gold molding around the entire altar. He made two gold rings and attached them on opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made the sacred anointing oil and the fragrant incense using the techniques of a skilled incense maker. So that's the end of Exodus 37, and now we're moving into Exodus 38. And I know a lot of this is reading descriptions of buildings and hearing how they built these different pieces of the tabernacle. So it's a lot of listening, but you can also be reflecting on, again, as we have this whole latter part of Exodus, how specific God is about everything and why you think they have to take such care in creating these pieces. Exodus 38 starts out with building the altar of burnt offering. Next, Bezalel used acacia wood to construct the square altar of burnt offering. It was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. He made horns for each of its four corners so that the horns and altars were all one piece. He overlaid the altar with bronze. Then he made all the altar utensils of bronze, the ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat, forks, and firepans. Next, he made a bronze grating and installed it halfway down the side of the altar under the ledge. He cast four rings and attached them to the corners of the bronze grating to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He inserted the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar. The altar was hollow and was made from planks. Building the wash basin, Bezalel made the bronze wash basin and its bronze stand from bronze mirrors donated by the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Building the courtyard. Then Bezalel made the courtyard, which was enclosed with curtains made of finely woven linen. On the south side, the curtains were 150 feet long. They were held up by 20 posts set securely in 20 bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. He made a similar set of curtains for the north side, 150 feet of curtains held up by the 20 posts set securely in bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. 
The curtains on the west end of the courtyard were 75 feet long, hung with silver hooks and rings, and supported by ten posts set into ten bases. The east end, the front, was also 75 feet long. The courtyard entrance was set on the east end, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side was 22 and a half feet long, and was supported by three posts set into three bases. The curtain on the left side was also 22 and a half feet long, and was supported by three posts set into three bases. All the curtains used in the courtyard were made of finely woven linen. Each post had a bronze base, and all the hooks and rings were silver. The tops of the posts of the courtyard were overlaid with silver, and the rings to hold up the curtains were made of silver. He made the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard of finely woven linen, and he decorated it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. It was thirty feet long, and its height was seven and a half feet, just like the curtains of the courtyard walls. It was supported by four posts, each set securely in its own bronze base. The tops of the posts were overlaid with silver, and the hooks and rings were also made of silver. All the tent pegs used in the tabernacle and courtyard were made of bronze. So pause there, and as we're reading through this, just think about how intensive this labor is. Melting metal, casting metal, weaving linens, building structures. Just imagine all the work that's going into this. The next section is inventory of materials. This is an inventory of the materials used in building the Tabernacle of the Covenant. The Levites compiled the figures, as Moses directed, and Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest, served as recorder. Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He was assisted by Aholiab, son of Ahizamech, of the tribe of Dan, a craftsman expert at engraving designing, and embroidering with blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth. The people brought special offerings of gold totaling 2,193 pounds, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This gold was used throughout the tabernacle. The whole community of Israel gave 7,545 pounds of silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. The silver came from the tax collected from each man registered in the census. The tax is one becca, which is half a shekel, based on the sanctuary shekel. The tax was collected from 603,550 men who had reached their 20th birthday. The hundred bases for the frames of the sanctuary walls and for the posts supporting the inner curtain required 7,500 pounds of silver about 75 pounds for each base. The remaining 45 pounds of silver was used to make hooks and rings and to overlay the tops of the posts. The people also brought as special offerings 5,310 pounds of bronze, which was used for casting the bases for the posts at the entrance to the tabernacle and for the bronze altar with its bronze grating and all the altar utensils. Bronze was also used to make the bases for the posts that supported the curtains and the courtyard. 
the bases for the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and all the tent pegs for the tabernacle and the courtyard. Now we're going into Exodus 39, clothing for the priests. And like I said, we've talked about these things before, but we've only heard about them. Now we're actually seeing them being created. So what does that show us about the Israelites' faithfulness to God? Did they just listen to what God told them to do? Or did they hear God's commands and then follow through with them? Exodus 39, verse 1. The craftsmen made beautiful, sacred garments of blue, purple, and scarlet cloth, clothing for Aaron to wear while ministering in the holy place, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Making the ephod. Bezalel made the ephod of finely woven linen and embroidered it with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made the gold thread by hammering out thin sheets of gold and cutting it into fine strands. With great skill and care, he worked it into the fine linen with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread. The ephod consisted of two pieces, front and back, joined at the shoulders, with two shoulder pieces. The decorative sash was made of the same materials, finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They mounted the two onyx stones in settings of gold filigree. The stones were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel just as a seal is engraved. He fastened these stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder that the priest represents the people of Israel. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Making the chest piece Bezalel made the chest piece with great skill and care. He made it to match the ephod using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made the chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to form a pouch nine inches square. They mounted four rows of gemstones on it. The first row contained a red carnelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. The second row contained a turquoise, a blue lapis lazuli, and a white moonstone. The third row contained an orange jacinth and a gate and a purple amethyst. The fourth row contained a blue-green barrel, an onyx, and a green jasper. All these stones were set in gold filigree. Each stone represented one of the twelve sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe was engraved on it like a seal. To attach the chess piece to the ephod, they made braided cords of pure gold thread, they also made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and attached them to the top corners of the chess piece. They tied the two gold cords to the rings on the chess piece. They tied the other ends of the cords to the gold settings on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the inside edges of the chess piece next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the front of the ephod, below the shoulder pieces, just above the knot where the decorative sash was fashioned to the ephod. They attached the bottom rings of the chess piece to the rings on the ephod with blue cords. In this way, the chess piece was held securely to the ephod above the decorative sash. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Additional Clothing for the Priests 
Bezalel made the robe that is worn with the ephod from a single piece of blue woven cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. The opening was reinforced with a woven collar so it would not tear. They made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attached them to the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold and placed them between the pomegranates along the hem of the robe, with bells and pomegranates alternating all around the hem. This robe was to be worn whenever the priest ministered before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made tunics for Aaron and his sons from fine linen cloth. The turban and the special head coverings were made of fine linen, and the undergarments were also made of finely woven linen. The sashes were made of finely woven linen and embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally, they made the sacred medallion, the badge of holiness, of pure gold. They engraved it like a seal with the words, Holy to the Lord. They attached the medallion with a blue cord to Aaron's turban, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the next section is Moses inspects the work. And before we read this short section, my question to you to be thinking about is, why does Moses need to inspect the work? Is it important for him to make sure that everything was done perfectly? Verse 32. And so, at last, the tabernacle was finished. The Israelites had done everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So I want you to pause right there. It says, at last the tabernacle was finished. How do you think the Israelites feel? How do you think the workmen feel? After all of that hard work. It doesn't really say how long it took, but we can probably assume that they all felt a great sense of accomplishment at the end of this task. So let's keep reading verse 33. And they brought the entire tabernacle to Moses, the sacred tent with all its furnishings, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the tent coverings of tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather, the inner curtain to shield the ark, the ark of the covenant and its carrying poles, the ark's cover, the place of atonement the table and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its symmetrical lamp cups, all its accessories, and the olive oil for lighting, the gold altar, the anointing oil and fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance of the sacred tent, the bronze altar, the bronze grating and its carrying poles and utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the curtains for the walls of the courtyard, the posts, and their bases, the curtains for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and tent pegs, all the furnishings to be used in worship at the tabernacle, the beautifully stitched garments for the priests to wear while ministering in the holy place, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. So the people of Israel followed all of the Lord's instructions to Moses. Then Moses inspected all of the work, When he found it had been done just as the Lord had commanded, just as the Lord had commanded him, he blessed them. So we're transitioning now into our final chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, which is aptly named The Tabernacle Completed. 
So as we read about them setting up the tabernacle, just think about what this tabernacle represents, what God's presence among them represents. And just reflect on the hard work that's gone into creating this. Exodus 40, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. Place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it and bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. Place the gold incense altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant Then hang the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offerings in front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offerings and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with the sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as a priest. Then present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father, so they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever, from generation to generation. Moses proceeded to do everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. Moses erected the tabernacle by setting down its bases, inserting the frames, attaching the crossbars, and setting up the posts. Then he spread the coverings over the tabernacle framework and put on the protective layers, just as the Lord had commanded him. He took the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant and placed them inside the ark. Then he attached the carrying poles to the ark, and he set the ark cover, the place of atonement, on top of it. Then he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle and hung the inner curtain to shield it from view, just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses placed the table in the tabernacle along the north side of the holy place, just outside the inner curtain, and he arranged the bread of the presence on the table before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He set the lampstand in the tabernacle across from the table on the south side of the holy place, Then he lit the lamps in the Lord's presence, just as the Lord had commanded him. He also placed the gold incense altar in the tabernacle, in the holy place in front of the inner curtain. On it he burned the fragrant incense, just as the Lord had commanded him. He hung the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle, and he placed the altar of the burnt offering near the tabernacle entrance. On it he offered a burnt offering and a grain offering, just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses placed the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar. He filled it with water so the priests could wash themselves. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons used water from it to wash their hands and feet. Whenever they approached the altar and entered the tabernacle, they washed themselves just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he hung the curtains, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the curtain 
at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last, Moses finished the work. And just before we go into the last section, I want you to pause and remind yourself what is the purpose of the tabernacle. Because we're about to see its purpose fulfilled and see God in his glory. So just think about being there in that moment. Think about what it means for the Israelites to have been pulled out of slavery and now his presence will be with them. The Lord's glory fills the tabernacle. Exodus 40 verse 34 Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Pause there. Why do you think it says that twice? It says it in 34 and 35 that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Why do you think they're emphasizing that? Verse 36. Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. So that ends Exodus. So let's remind ourselves, Exodus began with the Israelites in slavery. And where does Exodus end? Who is with them? Who is leading them? How do you think they feel? What does this cloud, this glory of the Lord, this presence of the Lord do to the Israelites? Was all of that hard work of building the tabernacle and the painstaking embroidery and following each regulation to the letter, was it worth it? What did the Israelites receive from doing the work of God? So we've hit another milestone and and finished the second book of the Bible. If you've been listening every, every time I release an episode, thank you. If you're just joining for one or two episodes, that's great too. I hope that you're receiving some kind of benefit from just hearing the word of God read aloud and maybe answering these questions along the way. Next time, we're going to continue along with the Israelites' journey, but we're going to be reading through Leviticus, which is a different type of book because it's less narrative, it's less, you know, an epic story, and much more about the rules and regulations that the Israelites had to adhere to during that time. But as I will always say, these pieces of scripture are part of our history, so they're still important and we can still learn from them and we will walk through it together so thank you for listening i am just so happy every time i see that people are engaging with the scriptures in any kind of way so i hope you're enjoying it if you want to reach out my contact information is in the description so please feel free to i would love to connect with any of you and i hope you have a wonderful week and i will talk to you in the next one